With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 382. It's titled, Is a Famine Next? Food Inflation, Food Riots, and Commodities. We've done a lot of episodes over the past few years on inflation and what to do about it, what causes it. Occasionally, I like to go back and look at prior transcripts of older episodes to see what I said, to see if I was helpful to you in preparing for what has come. Back in August 2020, I released episode 309, Investments to Fight Financial Repression. At the time, the U.S. annual inflation rate, as measured by the Consumer Price Index, was 1.3%. I shared a number of investments I had purchased in the previous six months to prepare for higher inflation. Investments like I-series savings bonds, dividend-paying stocks, preferred stocks, which we then exited for the Money for the Rest of Us model portfolios in early January this year before they fell over 10%. I purchased the Wisdom Tree CBOE Put Writing Strategy ETF, PUTW. This is a strategy that takes advantage of the volatility risk premium, something we discussed in depth in episode 309 that you can check out. A month later, September 2020, I released episode 312, what the Federal Reserve's new policies mean for your finances. The annual inflation rate at the time was 1.4%. I discussed how the Federal Reserve was going to allow inflation to run higher than their target, higher than 2%, and that they would be slower to raise interest rates. One of the things we discussed in the episode, and what I was doing at the time, was taking out a, a mortgage something that I hadn't done in over a decade. Financial repression is when interest rates are held artificially low and inflation is higher than what you can earn on cash. And one way to take advantage of that is to use debt prudently because then you're paying back that debt with dollars that are worth less because of the higher inflation. And had you acted, not only then, but over the next year, Mortgage rates were less than 3% in the U.S. Now, they're 5% or more. Six months later, in March 2021, I released episode 336, Own What is Real. At the time, the consumer price index was 2.6%. I said, we don't know whether there will be a great inflation. The bond market is not pricing it in. We don't know what's going to happen in two, three, or four years once we get over this pandemic. But prudent investors will own real things, physical things. I listed out some of those physical things, property, including real estate and land, but also stocks, companies that own property, that invest in projects, that make things, grow their earnings, dividend-paying stocks, rental real estate, and I mentioned gold 
and collectibles. Owning these real things can be advantageous at a time when the money supply is increasing, which it was doing significantly at the time, even though it wasn't showing up yet in the Consumer Price Index. Then in April 2021, we discussed in episode 338, the national debt, inflation, and the U.S. dollar, what could go wrong. I said, if the money supply is increasing 25% per year, which it was, and the private sector isn't willing to accept that and is playing hot potato, trying to get rid of that money as fast as they can, bidding up the prices of real things, then we'll get inflation. And we did. At the time, the consumer price index had got above 3%. Then in May 2021, inflation, as measured by the consumer price index, was 4.2%. I released episode 342, Is Another Great Inflation Coming? I said, in the months ahead, we will see rising inflation, higher inflation levels, more than we have seen in a number of years. And it'll come from a high demand for goods and services. There's pent-up demand. And many businesses are still increasing capacity because they cut back significantly during the pandemic. I discussed options, tips, treasury inflation protection securities, I-bonds, gold, other commodities, real estate, dividend-paying stocks. Recommended them again as options to protect against higher inflation. There were additional episodes in 2021 on inflation. Episode 359. September 2021. Why are there so many shortages? The consumer price index by then was up to 5.4% compared to the prior year. Episode 366, Is There a Global Energy Crisis? That was released in November 2021. The annual inflation rate was 6.3%. Episode 367, What Investment Strategies Do Best During High Inflation Periods? Because by then, we had a high inflationary period. That was released in December 2021. The consumer price index was up 6.8% over the previous 12 months. And then finally, in episode 378, is stagflation coming? Released last month, the inflation rate is now 7.9%. Of all of those assets I've listed and recommended, I bought them all with the exception of one. I've bought I-bonds. I've bought tips. I own preferred stocks. I have dividend-paying stocks. I own real estate. I own equity REITs. I bought gold, but I've owned gold for many years. So yes, I recommended it then, but I first bought gold back in March 2015 after it had fallen from $1,900 in 2011 down to $1,200 per ounce. I bought that right after releasing episode 37 about investing in gold. I bought it through AppMex. I bought gold coins. I bought more gold in December 2016. By then, it had fallen to $1,130 an ounce, and I bought an exchange-traded fund, the iShares Gold Trust. The ticker is IAU. Then, in September 9, 2020, I bought gold again at $1,900 per ounce because I wanted to own something real. I bought the Sprott Physical Gold ETV, the ticker is PHYS. Now, since then, gold's Went up a little bit, up $1,971 per ounce. But these assets that we buy in preparing for inflation are assets that we hold over a multi-year period. The time to prepare for inflation is before it comes. What didn't I buy? 
I didn't buy commodity futures. I've owned them in the past. We've owned them at my prior investment firm, primarily the Invesco DB Commodity Tracking ETF, DBC. It's a great ETF, but I have issues with owning commodity futures. I discussed those in episode 342 is another great inflation coming. I said, there's problems with owning commodities because you can't own an oil tanker. You can't buy a barrel of oil. You have to purchase oil futures. And the return of oil futures and other commodity futures depends on whether the commodity will increase in price more than what is already priced into the futures contracts. In other words, inflation needs to be higher than what investors already expect. It needs to be unexpected inflation. The other problem with commodity futures is as they mature and new ones are bought, there's a potential to lose money every time those futures are rolled over. Now, DBC tries to be selective into which futures contract they buy to mitigate this negative roll yield, but it's still there. Way back in episode 232, Is It Time to Invest in Commodities? We released that December 5th, 2018. My conclusion in that episode is we never know when it's time to invest in commodities because it is so difficult to figure out what the price should be. There's no way to value commodities. There is never a good time and never a bad time to invest in commodities because we don't know if commodities are overvalued or undervalued because there is no intrinsic value. All we have is supply and demand for some of the commodities. There's psychology, there's fear and greed, but it's very difficult to figure out the long-term trends. At that time, December 2018, oil prices had fallen over 30% since early October, and commodities, as measured by the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, were down 15% since September 30th. Neil Shearing, the chief economist at Capital Economics, noted, commodity prices tend to fall when there is fundamental concern about the health of the global economy. And we had a pandemic. There was some concern. But there's always concern with commodities. Between 2014 and 2016, oil prices fell over 70%. Oil prices fell over 70% in 2008. They fell over 50% during the recession of 1990-1991. They fell over 30% in 2012. Now, had you bought commodities in December 2018 after that episode, you would feel pretty pleased about yourself. Your total return would have been 80% had you invested in DBC, the Invesco DB Commodity Tracking ETF. But you would have seen a 30% drawdown in 2020. The best time to have bought commodities was after episode 296, Why Negative Prices Exist and What They Can Teach Us. That was released April 29th, 2020. Had you bought commodities in April 2012 and held them until April 2020, you would have seen a cumulative return of negative 60%, negative 11% annualized. But had you bought in April 2020, you would have made two and a half times your money, 57% annualized. Still, when we look at the long-term return for the Deutsche Bank Commodity Tracking ETF, over the past decade, despite having earned 50% annualized the last few years, 
its 10-year annualized return is negative 0.7%. Going back to February 3, 2006, the annualized return is only 1%. Commodities have not kept up with inflation if you've held them over the past 16 or so years. They just haven't. Because one, invest in commodities if they think inflation will be higher than what everybody already expects. Unexpected inflation. When you purchase the DBC, the Invesco Commodity Tracking ETF, half of that is in oil and gasoline. That is the largest component. There's about 10% in aluminum, 9% in copper futures, 7% in natural gas, 7% in gold futures, 6% in wheat, 6% in corn, 6% zinc, 6% in soybeans, 5% in sugar, and 2% in silver. Silver is a topic we discussed in episode 330 on how to invest in silver, February 3rd, 2021. Had you bought silver then, it was selling at $26 per ounce. Now, it's at $25 per ounce. You would have lost a little bit of money, even though inflation has skyrocketed since then. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns, that's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Where we've seen a great deal of inflation just in the past six weeks. Again, unexpected because of Putin's unjustified invasion of Ukraine. 
and the economic sanctions against Russia, we have seen major increases in food prices. The Food and Agriculture Organization, this is a UN agency, noted that food reached an all-time high in February and then went past that, up 13% in one month. That is the biggest increase in food prices since the FAO started calculating it in 1990. Cereals, wheat, grain was up 17% alone in March. Over the past year, we've seen European wheat increase 62%. Corn is up 37%. Palm oil is up 55%. Soybeans is up 21%. There has been a huge shock to the food supply because of the economic sanctions and the war. Ukraine and Russia make up a third of the global wheat market. Ukraine is unlikely to be able to plant as much as they usually plant or to even ship it out because of access to the Black Sea. Russian agricultural products just aren't going to hit the world market because of the sanctions. But it isn't just the grains. There has also been big increases in fertilizer prices and potentially a shortage of fertilizer. Combined, Russia and Belarus account for more than 40% of global exports of potash, one of three critical ingredients used in fertilizer. We have ammonia. Russia accounts for 22% of global ammonia exports, which is used in fertilizer. And Russia exports 14% of urea, which is also used in fertilizer. With less of those inputs, fertilizer prices have jumped 12% in the past year. They rose 17% in 2021 because a number of fertilizer factories started cutting production when natural gas and coal prices increased. One farmer, Mike Berry, he's a fifth-generational farmer in New Mexico, said he recently paid $680 a ton for liquid nitrogen to fertilize his corn crop. That's about 232% above what he paid last year. What is he going to do? He's going to plant less corn that is used for livestock feed. Because the price of fertilizer is so high, some farmers are cutting back because of the economic risk. If the crops don't turn out, their inputs are so much higher. You're especially seeing this in the developing world where farmers, small-time farmers, just don't have the resources to buy the fertilizer. So they're not planting as much, which means there is a risk of less food. And with the higher cost, we could see food riots, particularly countries that import a lot of food, areas of Africa and Arab countries. Ben Isaacson, he's a agriculture analyst with Scotiabank, said a lot of people think this is just going to mean that their bagels are going to become more expensive. And that's absolutely true. But that's not what this is about. What actually led to people going into the streets and protesting? It starts from food shortages and from food price inflation. With the jump in food prices, those that have food insecurities go hungry. During the pandemic, hunger rose 18% worldwide. About 720 million to 811 million people are hungry around the world. The United Nations says that this war's impact 
on the global food market could lead an additional 8 to 13 million people to go hungry. That's why Norudin Zakir Ahmadi, who, who is the director of an Afghan imports company, said the United States thinks it has only sanctioned Russia and its banks, but the United States has sanctioned the whole world because Russia exports to the whole world and is a big exporter of products, food products, as well as products used in fertilizers. Now, there are some positives, which is why investing in commodities is so challenging. The first is there's a surplus of rice. The one cereal that has fallen in price is rice. Over the past year, Thai rice has fallen 19%. Global rice inventories are at an all-time high. There has been an excess of production of rice, more than what is consumed annually. That could help avoid some of the famine issues. In addition, when we talk about inflation and the impact of food, there isn't necessarily a direct connection between higher food costs, the agricultural products, as represented, for example, by wheat futures, and what the final product cost in the store. Partly, it's because companies can reformulate what goes into their particular product, particularly for packaged goods. And in some areas where you have significant competition, think Walmart, think of European grocers, which are more concentrated, they can negotiate aggressively to keep costs down. Granted, that hurts the farmers, who often are subsidized by governments. But just because future prices are increasing for food doesn't necessarily mean food inflation will be significantly high or will continue to be high or what we pay for food at the grocer. There are so many other inputs that impact that. The other mitigating factor is we could see more supply. The U.S. Department of Agriculture just released their prospective plantings. They survey farmers around the U.S. And farmers in the U.S., they sampled 73,000 of them. Overall, they're going to plant more. The amount of wheat being planted in the U.S. is up 1%. Durham wheat being planted will be up 17% from last year. And so, consequently, even though fertilizer costs are high, some farmers are cutting back, others are planting more. 10% of U.S. exports are agriculture products. Now, it's quite likely that we will see food protests around the world as food prices have risen. But it doesn't necessarily have to mean famine. And when we think about inflation, protecting against inflation, expecting inflation, commodities, as I pointed out, have not been a great way to protect against inflation. There are other investments that have done much better. Some of those that I've listed today. I-series savings bonds, if you're a U.S. investor. Other inflation index bonds. Owning real things, real estate, does very well to protect against inflation. Over longer-term periods, dividend stocks and stocks in general, that compound. Now, when you get an inflation spike, sometimes you see stocks fall. But when we're talking about allowing our investment portfolios to do better than inflation over the long term, multi-year holding periods, these are assets that have worked. Real estate, stocks, and owning real things. Gold has 
outperformed inflation over the long term, owning gold coins. Commodities, not so much because you're investing in futures. So you're investing in a financial product whose prices reflect what other investors think, the consensus. Commodities do well in periods of unexpected inflation like we have had over the past two years. Now, also with inflation, there's no guarantee that inflation will continue to rise in the high single digits because we have what are known as base effects. Every month when government statisticians release the new inflation numbers, they compare prices in the basket, the reference basket, to the prices from the prior month and the prior year. And some of the jump in prices was just supply constraints coming out of the pandemic, rental cars, for example. And so because of these base effects, you might not necessarily see inflation continue to rise. In addition, higher prices encourages more supply, and that can put downward pressure on prices. Third, we could see lower demand as central banks start to raise interest rates have been increasing interest rates. We're seeing longer-term rates go up. I mentioned the 5% mortgage rate in the U.S. That discourages borrowing, discourages buying more things, which means less demand, more supply can lead to lower inflation. A fourth thing is one of the things that has driven inflation is the money supply increase. There was just more money because of stimulus by governments around the world combined with central banks purchasing bonds, government bonds. That combination of deficit spending and money creation by central banks to basically fund that deficit led to an explosion in the money supply of 25% growth rate in some of the monetary aggregates, checking accounts, savings accounts, cash. Now the money supply growth has slowed. It's up 11% in the past year in the U.S. on a nominal basis. This is M2, a monetary aggregate. But on a real basis, it's only up 3%. That's down from 20% type increases. So again, when preparing for inflation, we want to prepare early and recognize that there are reasons why inflation rates might moderate. We just released the April Investment Conditions and Strategy Report on Money for the Rest of Us Plus, and one of the big focuses there is will central banks overcorrect, raise their policy rate too high to where the economy slows down and potentially goes into a recession? That could also lead to lower inflation rates. But we should continue to own assets that do well to protect against inflation, and now might be a prudent time to have some food storage, just in case. We don't want to hoard, but it's okay to have some protection. LePro and I have some food storage, some grain, wheat, rice, freeze-dried food here in Tucson, as well as our cabin in Idaho, just in case. So get some food, continue to own assets that can compound over time, that generate income, like dividends, like rents, and then have some real things that don't necessarily generate income, but have been solid inflation hedges over the long term, things such as gold and land. If you think we might continue to get unexpected inflation, that's when you own commodity futures. Now, if you bought in 2020, great. If you didn't, don't feel bad. 
because we don't know what commodity futures prices will be. It's difficult enough to invest when an asset has a positive expected return because of its cash flow. When an asset doesn't have a positive expected return, that it's completely dependent on what other investors expect, an asset such as commodity futures that have barely earned 1% over the past 15 years and is negative over the past decade, even though it's compounded at 50% annualized rates over the past couple of years, credibly volatile. That's an asset class that I just haven't been comfortable owning. I just don't have the assurity that I would like. So I didn't buy commodity futures. If you did, that's wonderful. If you didn't, that's okay. But go buy some food. Thanks for listening. That's episode 382. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter, The Insider's Guide? It's where each week I share an essay on money, investing, and the economy to a list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love for you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for over seven years. Plus membership gives you the tools and resources you need to manage your investment portfolio. Not only do you get access to my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but Money for the Rest of Us Plus has partnered with top-tier institutional research firms such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSEI, and Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over a 1,000 members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to an institutional research service that can cost upwards of $10,000 per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more about Plus membership at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.